So I told you that tonight we'd be talking about 9-11 because it's heavy on, on my heart, it's heavy on my mind. Um, you know, I was on an airplane today and I, I was sitting there in the terminal and I was waiting to get on the plane and this lady looks at me and she goes, oh my gosh, today's 9-11. I was like, yeah, I know. I thought about that when I made my reservation. I knew that it was 9-11 and I knew that I'd be flying on 9-11 and I'm really not afraid to fly on 9-11. I told her, as a matter of fact, it's probably one of the safest days to fly as a matter of fact, but um, it kind of, I could see the look in her eyes um, when she realized that it was 9-11 and she was about to get on a plane, um, and, and I know that we all have flashbacks to what that was like, and, and today I kind of have been remembering a lot about what that was like, a lot about where I was, what I was doing. Um, I remember when the first tower was hit, it was at 8.46 a.m. on September the 11th, 2001, and that was the north tower that was hit first. 8.46 a.m. The North Tower was hit first, but fell last. It fell at 10.28 a.m. The South Tower, however, was hit at 9.03 a.m. and fell at 9.59 a.m. So the North Tower was hit first, but fell last. And I remember distinctly, um, I was listening to Rick and Bubba on the radio, uh, and, and I was driving on my way to Birmingham, and I can remember what it was like when they got on the radio and they said, hey, the World Trade Center is, is on fire, you know, and they didn't know why at that time, but they were just talking about how odd it was that the World Trade Center was on fire, and then they said, how did that happen? Was it a small plane that crashed into it? And, and so things started to evolve, and then finally, shortly thereafter, it was only about 15 more minutes, and then a second plane crashed into the South Tower. So uh, I can remember when it dawned on everybody at that moment I remember when it dawned on me that people were intentionally flying planes into the World Trade Centers. I, I know that some, some of you younger ones don't really, you, you, you don't really know because maybe you weren't even alive yet for the most part. But adults, I know that a lot of us, uh, we remember distinctly what it was like. And I remember uh, what it was like because I felt this sense of anger almost well up inside of me. I really did. I felt I was angry, if I'm perfectly honest about it. I was mad about what was going on and how people could, could take innocent lives like that and how they could, for their own agenda and their own purposes, how they could do this stuff. And it just, it made me angry. And, and, and I think a lot of the world and a lot of the, the people in the United States in particular had a lot of that anger. They had a lot of that just absolute, just, oh, it was just eating us alive inside that somebody could do this and they could do this to our people. And it just bothered us deeply. I know that. And, and I remember after seeing the, the, the first tower fall, okay, and, and, and today um, we're continuing this series no matter what because today we have a little bit different picture. Instead of a, a, a climber looking at a mountain, we have a firefighter looking at this would be, um, this would be the south tower uh, because the north tower had... Uh, excuse me, this would be the North Tower because the South Tower had already fallen. I remember distinctly this image. Um, I was watching it on the news. Uh, we had the news turned on at the office, and we were watching what was going on. And, and, you know, of course, every station had coverage of what was going on right at that point in time. And I remember watching after the first tower fell. I remember after watching the South Tower fall. And I was so just devastated that that much loss of life had just happened before my very eyes. I mean, it made me sick to my stomach. It really did. I, I, was, I was sick thinking about, I know that there were hundreds of people inside those towers 
that lost their life, wife with me watching on TV, and I saw it in a second, and I remember how sick that made me. But then I remember immediately thereafter seeing this image, and, and I would see, well, not that one, that one right there, um, see firefighters lining up to go into the North Tower. I remember what that was like, and I was I literally screaming at the TV going, do you know what's going to happen? We just saw the South Tower fall. The North Tower is going to fall too. I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you thinking? You know, you know that you're about to walk into your own grave. I mean, you're about to go into the last place you'll ever go. And these men, and I'm sure there were women in there too, these people were lining up to go into this place to try to rescue people, knowing full well that they may never come out of that, that, that tower that day. And many of them didn't. Many of them did not walk back out. Most of them didn't walk back out. They were lining up, heading in to the North Tower, knowing full well that it was likely going to fall the same way the South Tower did. Oh, it was gut-wrenching for me to watch that. But when I think about the series we've been talking about, no matter what, that was the mentality in their mind. I am going to rescue those people, and their lives are important no matter what. And I think about myself as a Christian what would I have done in that situation? Would I have lined up to go into that tower? Would I have lined up one after another to go into the next tower, knowing full well that it was likely going to fall, knowing full well that I, I probably wasn't going to go home to my family that night? Would I line up in that line? Because those lives are important? Well, Jesus has a little something to say about this um, when he's talking to his disciples. Uh, I'm just going to read this to you. It won't be up on the screen, but... In John chapter 15, this is uh, Jesus kind of leading up to, to his death, and he's, he's talking to his disciples. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down your life. For one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything my father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, produce lasting fruit, so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. And and Jesus says, No greater love has a hath a man than he lay down his life for his friends or his brother. And that was the mentality of these men walking in to this tower. They were laying down their life for somebody else's life. And when I think about us as Christians, and we talk about living sacrificially, and we talk about how you know, Jesus set the standard by living his entire life, his whole existence, from the time uh, he was born, literally, in, and, and he, when he was born, they gave him... Burial spices is, is what frankincense and myrrh are really burial spices. You don't give burial spices to a baby, you know. They gave burial spices to a baby because he was destined to die from the time he was born. His whole, whole purpose in his life was to die. And Jesus set that standard from the very beginning. And everything that he did 
even when he would stand in the synagogues and he would and he would preach to people in the synagogues and he would look out the back door of the synagogue you know what he was facing he was facing Jerusalem he was facing the place where he was ultimately going to go and suffer and die on a cross so every time he spoke in a synagogue and talked to the people, he was looking right, right out the back door towards the place where he was going to die on a cross. His whole life was sacrificial. And he tells these disciples now, he says, okay, look, I've set the standard. I love you. You love me. Remain in me. He, he, he talks about that just prior to that in, 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 in John chapter 15. He talks about you remain in me and I will remain in you. And he's talking about his love, that his love should remain in you. And that the mentality, the, the precedent that he had set to live sacrificially is to remain in you. But you know when that's the hardest to do? You know when that's the hardest to do? It's times like that. And it's not just the people in there that you're laying down your life to save them. It is the mentality that we're supposed to have that Jesus set before us that says, love your enemies now i could see myself loving people enough to go into that tower to die for them but i can barely see myself going in there to to lay down my life for the people that persecute me or the people that drove those planes into the buildings but that's the standard that jesus said jesus says love your enemies even when they persecute you even when they hurt you love your enemies that's the standard that's real sacrificial love. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. What's interesting about this, I have another picture for you of Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to put that up here now. This is a Bible that was fused to some of the rubble collected from 9-11. Opened up directly to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to cover some of the verses that are written on this Bible, on this page, fused to some rubble that was found in 9-11, in the rubble from 9-11. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38, it says this, You have heard the law that says, Punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court, take the shirt that is given from you. Take, and, and if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Here, Jesus is teaching about revenge. See, our natural inclination when somebody hurts us is to institute revenge. And we want to say things like, you know what? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and we're going to let God have his wrath on those people. In reality, the lesson that Jesus teaches is for us to, to pray for those who persecute you. It goes on in verse 43. It says, you have heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. He gives us sunlight to both he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. 
If you're only kind to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. How fitting is it that that is the Bible verse, that those are the Bible verses fused to rubble collected from 9-11. So easily do we want to implement revenge. And I'm not saying, and, and understand something, I believe in justice. And I believe justice is different than revenge, okay? I believe if somebody does something wrong, they should be brought to justice. I'm not saying that we should just say, everything's fine, you didn't do anything wrong. No, justice must be served and people must be held accountable to their actions. So I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the heart of a Christian and what we are supposed to look like, this insurmountable challenge to us, and a lot of times, that mountain that is standing in front of us is to love and pray for those who persecute us. To care about them in such a way that our desire is more so that the gospel be served than for our own desires to be served. See, the gospel says forgiveness. But when we're hurt, our immediate reaction is revenge. And Jesus, he talks about this, this revenge element a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, he says you know, a Old Testament says an eye for an eye and, and, and a tooth for a tooth. He says, you've heard that all along. He says, but I say, do not resist an evil person. He says, he says don't turn away an evil person. Don't turn your back on them. That's the message of Jesus. Now, I didn't say this. Jesus said it. If you don't believe that Jesus said it, you've got a Bible. You go read it in red and white. Jesus said it. We so easily want to, to, to implement revenge on somebody that hurts us, and Jesus says, don't turn your back on them. He says, if somebody sues you in court, he says, they take the shirt off your back. Give them your cloak also. Give them your jacket also. Take it to the next level. Jesus says that even though you may have something taken from you, you give on top of that. Now he goes on to say that if a soldier asks you to carry his pack for a mile, yet you go on and carry it an extra mile. Now what would happen in those days is Jewish people, there would be Roman soldiers that would be going through town or something on their way to go do battle somewhere and and, and, and Jewish people would be standing there on the roadside, and, and these soldiers would enlist Jewish people to carry their stuff for them so that they didn't get tired. By the time they got there, they weren't as tired because they have to carry their stuff. And Jewish people hated that. They hated the fact that a soldier that, that was basically controlling them, well, they were having to carry his stuff. And Jesus said, I know that you hate that. I know that it bothers you deeply, and I know that you just want to want to throw their stuff down or throw it in the, in, in the ditch and, and, and forget about those people? He says, no. You add two, and you go the extra mile, and you carry their pack another mile because that's the standard that I set. You see, the thing that we often forget is our value when it comes to how good we are. And I talk about this a lot, right? The sum total of the good that is in you, by yourself, that you can accomplish on your own, it equals zero. It totals zero. 
the evil person that you know that has hurt you, the person that doesn't know God, doesn't love God, doesn't care about God, the sum total of all the good that they do, it equals zero. So we have to understand that we're both on the same level. We're both in desperate need of God's grace. We're both in desperate need of a Savior. That when you get persecuted, when you get hurt, you need to look at that, not as that, that person who has hurt you, and even though they may need to be brought to justice, but you also need to see the heart of the person, and the heart of the person is just like you. The heart of that person has a heart just like you, and that is one that is in need of a Savior. Now, one of the worst ways that we can be hurt is when we're hurt by somebody close to us. That's when it gets really nasty, right? So if you're hurt by somebody that you don't really know that well or you know that they're kind of sort of a friend but they aren't really a friend, that doesn't hurt you as bad. But when you have a really close friend, when you have a family member or maybe even a mom or a dad or for some people it's even a pastor, a youth pastor, who hurts you really deeply, and that's, that's where forgiveness gets really difficult. That's where the challenge really comes in. And you say, okay, so if somebody strikes me on the cheek, if they physically hurt me, that I've got to turn the other cheek also. What Jesus is saying there, he, he, he's, he's basically saying this. You know what is more important than anything else? Grace. What is more important than anything else is for you to show the same grace that was given to you, for you to show that to the whole world. What is more important than anything else is the gospel and the good news that we have to bring to this whole world. You may have bitterness, you may have anger, you may have all these things. He said, you got to let those go, those go because I gave you grace, therefore you have to be ambassadors of grace. When that person that's so close to you, when they hurt you, when they hurt you deeply and they've done stuff to you, and, and maybe they've done stuff to you repeatedly that hurts you over and over and over again, man, it looks like this insurmountable challenge to be able to get past that, to actually show them the grace that was shown to you through your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what, what does Jesus do? He tells us how to do it. So he gives us a statement in verse 43. You have heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemy. Okay, how am I supposed to love my enemies? Well, Jesus gives a prescription here, right? He prescribes a way. How do you love them? What can I do to love my enemies? This is, Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. That's the way that you handle it. What am I supposed to pray, Kenny? What am I supposed to pray if I'm praying for these people that have persecuted me and they hurt me and they've hurt me deeply and they were so close to me? How, how, what am I supposed to pray? Am I supposed to pray, God, enact your vengeance on them, take them out, pour fire down from heaven to consume them and turn them to ashes? No. No. Because Jesus says, love your neighbor, love them, and pray for them. Pray loving prayers for them. God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Isn't that the prayer that Jesus prayed for all of us? When he was hanging on that cross and he was bleeding and he'd been beaten to the point where you couldn't recognize him as a man? 
and he was looking around at everybody. And, and we, we, we want to say, well, he was talking about the people who had hurt him really bad. No, he was talking about all of us. Because in one way or another, our sin has hurt him really bad. And the reason he was hanging on that cross is a result of your sin and my sin and everyone else's sin. So when Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, he was talking about all of us. Is that the way that we pray for our enemies? Is that the way that we pray for those who've hurt us really bad? Do we say, God, I pray that you would not enact your vengeance on them. I pray that you would rescue them with your grace. I pray that you would draw them into you. And they might experience grace the way that I have. I pray that you would wrap them up in your arms the way that you've wrapped me up in your arms. I pray that they would recognize themselves for who they are. And they would fall humbly at your cross. And that, God, you would save them. You would pick them up from the place that they are. And that one day, one day I might be united with them as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So that we can both rejoice in the gospel. Is that the way you pray for your enemies? Is that the way you pray for people who have hurt you? Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for them. He says, because anybody, even, even the tax collectors, they only love those. Um, they only, if you only love those who love you, what reward is that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that. Only the people that, that love you, if you only love them. If you are only kind to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Jesus says that the people we're supposed to love, the people we're supposed to befriend, the people that we're supposed to be close to are the ones that hurt us. Because they're just like us. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And he says, you know what? The just and the unjust, we're all the same. What I'm saying is something that's very hard to do. What I'm saying is that what Jesus is asking us to do seems like an insurmountable challenge in a lot of ways. But because it's an insurmountable challenge, does it give us an excuse not to do it? Because it's very hard, that isn't a reason for us to say, I can't really do that because it's hard. As a matter of fact, everything that Jesus challenges us to do is the complete opposite of what our nature wants to do. Our, complete, our nature wants us to enact vengeance. Our nature wants us to harbor bitterness. But Jesus always challenges us to do the opposite of what our nature longs to do. You have a choice to either do what the flesh desires or do what the Spirit desires. Now, God gave you the Holy Spirit. If you're a born-again Christian, if you're a, a follower of Jesus Christ, He's given you the Holy Spirit. And you're, the Holy Spirit is there constantly showing you, correcting you, guiding you. And it always challenges you to go against what your flesh, what your common natural desires are. It always challenges you to go the opposite direction. So the point is this, if you're doing what is easy, if you're doing the easy thing, you're doing the wrong thing. It's just that simple. If you're letting bitterness well up inside of you, it's the wrong thing. Yeah, it's the easy thing, 
but it's the wrong thing. If you're letting the anger consume you and drive you and motivate you to do what you do, you're doing the wrong thing. If your motivations are one of love, if your motivations are one of following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, if your motivations are one of, of praying for people that hurt you, you're doing the right thing. Because those things are hard. So the question tonight is very simple. In, in your small groups, the, the question is very, very easy. Are you doing the right thing or the wrong thing? Are you doing the easy thing or the hard thing? Very simple. Father, thank you so much, God, for your precious love, for your grace that was poured out on each and every one of us that we did not deserve, for the fact that, God, we were all enemies of you. We were all contrary, God, to your grace. We were all living in rebellion against you. God, but you took that and you nailed it to a cross. God, we do this, God, we, we, we come to you in faith and say, God, I believe that you did that. You, you took what was inside of me that was evil and ugly and nasty and rebellious against you, and you nailed it to a cross. So, God, I pray that we would live lives that are representative of that. And, God, we live lives that show that, indeed, all of that, it died, and it died on a cross. Lord, I know how easy it is sometimes to forget. I know how easy it is sometimes to have anger and bitterness well up inside of us because we've been hurt and we've been hurt so bad. God, but you call us to do the hard thing. You call us to pray for and love those who persecute us and hurt us. So Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be Christians. We would be Christ followers. We would follow your example. We would follow your lead and what you call us to do, which is to pray for those who hurt us. So tonight, God, as people, some people may feel led to come to this altar. Maybe they're coming to this altar because they've been hurt so deeply and maybe their heart is broken and that's okay. They can come to you and they can bring that to you. Or but maybe tonight somebody wants to bring their enemy to you tonight. They want to lay their enemy down at this altar and say, God, I pray for them. I pray that you would show me how to love them. I pray that you would show me how to love them more. God, I pray that you would rescue them from the evil place that they're in. I pray that you would... You would just draw them to you. God, I pray that you would just wrap them up with your arms. God, I pray that you would lead them to the cross. God, I pray that you would rescue them so that we might be brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray that somebody tonight might come down here and pray that prayer. Lord, it's not easy. It's incredibly hard. But God, nothing is impossible with you. Nothing is impossible with you. So God, may we put our trust in you. Do as you commanded. In Jesus' name.